welcome back to Friend of the Court, a podcast series that explores important constitutional cases against their political and social contexts. I'm your host, Raghu Karnad. In the first three episodes of this season, we're exploring the Jain Hawala Diaries case, formerly known as Vineet Narayan versus Union of India. In episode one, we saw how a set of unassuming red diaries revealed details of regular cash transactions between the industrialist Jain family and their supposed beneficiaries. Suspicion loomed large that the cryptic initials recorded in the diaries matched the names of powerful figures, including sitting ministers, prominent opposition leaders, and senior bureaucrats. The diaries indicated pervasive corruption in national politics and hinted at a serious rule of law crisis. Media exposés about the diaries shook the establishment, but the CBI seemed to be doing little, and the diaries continued to collect dust in the agency's Malkana. However, vocal lawyers and journalists were not prepared to stay quiet. They decided it was time to hold public institutions accountable. It was time to go to court. In July of 1993, P.V. Narsimha Rao's shaky minority government scraped through its third confidence motion by a slim margin of 14 votes. The Prime Minister and his cabinet had been battered by a string of corruption allegations, which paralysed the government. P. Chidambaram, the Minister for Commerce, was even forced to resign. The public was growing despondent over the mounting rot in politics and cynical about agencies like the CBI. Namaskar. Kalchakr ke dasme ank mein aapka swagat hai. Aaj desh ke karono log desh mein badhte bhrashtachar, mehengai, nain safi aur badhali se behal hai. Kuch log hain jo iske khilaaf sangharsh kar rahe hain aur bahut se log hain jo sangharsh karna chahate hain. कालचक्र का दसवां अंक लोक अंक है इसमें हमने लोकतंत्र का असली चेहरा आपके सामने पेश करने की कोशिश की है इस विश्वास के साथ कि आपके हक की लड़ाई में कालचक्र एक सिपाही एट 69 बॉल्ड एंड बिस्पेक्टिकल्ड राम जेठमलानी वाज अ राज्यसभा एमपी एंड फ्यूचर लॉ मिनिस्टर ही फीचर्ड प्रोमिनेंटली इन विनीत नारायण्स कालचक्र रिपोर्ट and began to zealously pursue the case. In August, he dashed off a letter to the Prime Minister asking about the status of the investigation into the diaries. Uh, Mr. Ram Jaitmalani is a very eminent lawyer and the belief was India's top criminal lawyer takes up this case. It would acquire a different kind of stature and it would get a kind of recognition which uh, it had been struggling to get over a period of time. And uh, he addressed the press conference where he laid bare all the so-called allegations that had been leveled to spoke about the Jain Hawala scandal. That was Sanjay Kapoor, then a reporter with Blitz, and now the secretary of the Editors Guild of India. 
he wrote the first story about the diaries in 1991. At the press conference, Jit Malani went all guns blazing and again urged the Prime Minister to act. But Jit Malani's calls had little impact on the government. The CBI appeared to be in a stupor, even as the Jains were reportedly seen hosting ministers at their farmhouse. In October of 1993, having lost faith in the government and the CBI, Narayan and three others filed a public interest litigation, or PIL, in the Supreme Court. What was their main plea in this first-of-its-kind petition? They wanted the court to step in and appoint independent officers to investigate the diaries. Apart from Narayan, the team of petitioners included veteran journalist Rajinder Puri and rising lawyers Prashant Bhushan and Kamini Jaiswal, who were chosen to add heft in a case against A-list politicians. Prashant Bhushan tells us more. Usually the courts also look at who is the petitioner, whether the petitioner is a credible person or not. Courts also look at the lawyer who is arguing the case, not just because of how good or how effective he is, but also his uh, sort of public credibility. So therefore, uh, both the petitioners and the lawyer are important in these kind of PILs. PILs are a type of petition that deal with public grievances, especially violations of fundamental rights. Early PILs in the 1980s focused on environmental issues and relatively localized lapses in governance. By the 1990s, as the PIL movement gathered pace, the courts were taking on a more crusading role. Unlike others before it, the Jain Havala PIL was more ambitious in scope. In one fell swoop, it took on the entire political establishment for corruption. In a surprise twist, however, Jit Milani, the most vocal campaigner, did not represent the PIL. The move seemed unusual at the time, but it would make more sense later. Instead, he approached Anil Divan. Hello and welcome to this very special interview. Joining me today is the doyen of the Indian legal fraternity, Anil Divan, constitutional lawyer, senior advocate at the Supreme Court and one of India's best legal minds. Tall and imposing, with a pencil moustache, Divan had more than four decades of experience at the bar. Divan's commitment to public causes was forged during the emergency when he participated in protests and constitutional battles alike. Although his practice focused mainly on corporate and commercial matters, Divan had a history of arguing cases of public importance. With a reputation for being impervious to political pressure, he was perfectly positioned to get to the bottom of the Jain Havala story. But he did not agree to take the case right away. Kamini Jaiswal tells us more about the team's efforts to convince Divan. 
Anil Devan was a very upright, very straight, very hard taskmaster and a very, very competent lawyer. So to get him involved, first we had to convince him about the authenticity of the whole thing. And that a lot of technical issues would be involved. And it was important that the court looking at the credibility of the person before it. And number two, we did not want in any event for it to be termed as a politically motivated case. So Mr. Devan had no political affiliations also. And he was definitely a person who once he got into a matter would do everything to take it to its logical conclusion. He would not dump it midway. He would not give his other cases preference over this issue. So therefore, it was very important we have somebody we could rely on who would not let us down. In Divan's own words, he was eager to argue the matter, but he was cynical about the outcome. The petitioners came to the court with an extraordinary claim. Not only was corruption in public office a serious crime, but hushing it up amounted to a violation of a citizen's fundamental rights, especially the right to equality. They pointed out that investigative agencies, particularly the CBI, were behaving in an arbitrary manner and treating some people as if they were above the law. This became obvious when the CBI charged suspects in its terror investigation but did not pursue leads against powerful politicians in the very same case. Suspecting that the CBI was stalling because of its political bosses, the petitioners also made an unusual prayer. They asked the court to appoint independent officers to investigate the case and report to the court. Here is a case where the CBI has got some evidence which hmm. shows uh, some powerful people receiving cash from some corporation or company which was also involved in Hawala operations, etc. The CBI is not investigating this because of the power and the influence of these individuals who are involved. And therefore, the legal question was... Can the court not do anything about this? Should the court not do anything about this? Should the court not see and ensure that the CBI does its legal duty? That is, pursues the investigation without fear or favor. With a heavyweight like Divan attached to the case, the PIL quickly got the attention of the court. The petition was admitted by the Supreme Court in December 1993 by a three-judge bench headed by Chief Justice M.N. Venkatachalaya. Early on, the bench made a startling suggestion. Abani Sahu, Ram Jethmalani's junior, and one of the lawyers who assisted Divan in this case, explains. When Justice Anand said, why don't you go to the magistrate, then we felt, I mean, uh, totally surprised, knowing fully well who are the recipients. Even the my lord Justice Anand also said, go to the magistrate, it was unusual. That's the reason the rule of law was in reality, it was not there. It was there like, show me the man, I'll show the rule book. That's why we wanted a petition before Supreme Court under Article 32 to investigate the matter. 
once mr justice anand said when he was in the bench with justice venkatachalya that why don't you go to the magistrate to file the petition mr divan said it's quite impossible the magistrate will not take the case into cognizance because the recipients were there and all the corrupt money in earlier years cases against former maharashtra chief minister ar antulay and former union minister bhajan lal had stalled in the lower courts so there was reasonable ground for divan's hunch that a case in a trial court against big names would hit a dead end while the bench did not press the issue of approaching a lower court they did ask the petitioners to do something else remove the names of suspected offenders from the PIL though the court did not spell out why lawyers we spoke to speculated that perhaps the court did not want to blatantly politicize the case leaders such as buta singh arif mohammed khan and devi lal had been singled out in the petition along with their suspected misdeeds the suggestion alarmed journalists like narayan and kapoor who feared that removing names would muffle its impact after all the high profile figures suspected of wrongdoing were what set this case apart but for divan the pil presented an opportunity to address a bigger systemic problem beyond the corruption of any specific individuals divan proceeded to drop the names then in january of 1994 the cbi's first response in court uncorked a major new admission they told the bench that the diaries did indeed exist but over the next 8 months things slowed down as the matter was not heard then in october of 1994 chief justice venkatachalaya retired and the petition went to a bench headed by justice j s verma the third most senior judge in the supreme court he had a reputation for being a fearless independent jurist who did not shy away from taking the government to task with him leading the bench the petitioners were filled with optimism prashant bhushan explains why justice verma was uh, relatively the most independent uh, judge in the supreme court at that time and also quite strong and firm and therefore uh, he was definitely the best person to steer this case both uh, in terms of tightening up the cbi for its investigative lapses or lack of investigation in that particular case as well as for giving those final direction before this there were various kinds of pils involving environment or rights of the disadvantaged and the poorer sections of society and this was one of the first pils relating to corruption in high places and it was also the first uh, case where the court ordered uh, institutional reforms to be put in place because till then the view of the judiciary had been that look court does not have the jurisdiction to order the government to put in place institutional reforms or mm. that's a matter for the legislature unlike most legal cases pils are not meant to be adversarial in nature 
they're an opportunity for the court and the parties to work towards a solution together. Varma and Divan were ideally placed for this, given their passion for upholding constitutional values and their mutual regard. The results were instantaneous. As soon as he took over, Justice Verma expanded the scope of the hearings by issuing notice to the Union of India. This meant that the court could seek updates and interventions not just from the CBI, but also from the revenue, tax and foreign exchange authorities. In December of 1994, Justice Verma came up with his most creative judicial innovation. It was called Continuing Mandamus. Here's Justice Verma explaining its significance in an interview to Doordarshan. Now, everyone is aware of mandamus, where the court, in a writ petition, gives a direction Mm -hmm. for compliance. Mm -hmm. Very often, what used to happen was a mandamus was given Mm -hmm. to a person who had failed to perform Mm -hmm. a legal obligation to do it. Mm -hmm. And then when he did not, then a contempt petition would come that was the indirect way. Mm -hmm. Well, what occurred to me as the presiding judge with which my mm-hmm. colleagues on the bench fully agreed, mm-hmm. you see, when I discussed with them, was this, that if we combine the process mm-hmm. in one proceeding mm-hmm. and call it monitoring, mm-hmm. so that we give the directive mm-hmm. to perform mm-hmm. and retain season over the matter mm-hmm. till the completion of the performance is reported, mm-hmm. you see, we would be thereby giving a mandamus which would be continuing mm-hmm. till the performance mm-hmm. is made. Instead of a one-time order, as was the norm, the CBI would have to continuously update the court on its progress. That progress seemed to come swiftly. Just a month after Justice Verma's order, in January of 1995, the agency registered a preliminary inquiry to scrutinize 119 contracts issued by state-owned corporations to the Jains. If the CBI proved these contracts had been unfairly or illegally awarded, it would indicate that the Jains had been bribing politicians and officials across the board. By April 1995, four years after finding the diaries, the CBI finally arrested three Jain brothers. Under custodial interrogation, they deciphered the names of their alleged beneficiaries both prominent politicians and bureaucrats. The alphabet soup of initials unraveled to match flesh and blood leaders. For instance, at serial number 26, against the initials LKA, was a sum of 60 lakhs. Did it mean that the top BJP leader, LK Advani, had received this money? On page number 118, the letters AN appeared against the amount of 35 lakhs. Was this a payoff to Rajiv Gandhi's confidant, Arun Nehru? The CBI also examined officials, politicians and documents to determine if the Jains had received favours in exchange for money. By the end of that year, the CBI had gathered enough evidence to file charge sheets in a special court against a few senior public servants and the Jains themselves. That was just a start. In January 1996 came the real bombshells. Charge sheets were filed against L.K. Advani, Arjun Singh, 
Madhavrao Sindhya, Arif Mohammad Khan, Yashwant Sinha, and several others. Sindhya and two other cabinet ministers were forced to resign. Over the next three months, the CBI filed a total of 39 charge sheets in the special court against more than 50 bureaucrats and politicians from nearly every party. All this was reported to the Supreme Court as it unfolded in the lower court. Remarkably, however, there was no public record of these proceedings in the top court. The government had requested the court to conduct large parts of the hearings in camera or behind closed doors. It feared that hearings in open court might unfairly tarnish the reputations of the prominent people still being probed. Abani Sahu told us that the lawyers even had to take an oath that they would not breathe a word of what went on inside. Over time, the developments in the Supreme Court began to trickle through the legal system. Empowered by the top court's actions, several high courts too began directing the CBI to begin sensitive investigations. For the Janata Dal President and Chief Minister of Bihar, Mr. Lalu Prasad Yadav, it was yet another chapter in his battle for political survival. This time, Mr. Yadav is fighting on two fronts. First, to stave off prosecution in the 1,000 crore rupees fodder scam where the CBI has filed a charge sheet and targeted him as one of the prime accused in the case. There is a situation that is in the situation that is Chara Ghotala. After not coming and after being in हर पार्टी के लोग रिजिनेशन की मांग कर रहे हैं और उसमें जनता दल के भी लोग क्या कहते हैं कि हैं By 1996 the Patna High Court had ordered the CBI to investigate Bihar Chief Minister Lalu Prasad Yadav for the fodder scam The Bombay High Court had ordered the CBI to investigate a suspicious death tied to young Shiv Sena leader Raj Thakre errant politicians across the country and the political spectrum were beginning to feel the heat. Stung by the charge sheet, L.K. Advani, the second most important leader of the BJP after Ratul Bihari Vajpayee, resigned as Member of Parliament. He vowed that he would only contest elections after his name was cleared. With charge sheets filed, Justice Verma's bench was able to steer the investigations to their logical end, just over a year after they started hearing the petition. But the court was confronted with a series of other similar cases where agencies were stalling against investigating establishment figures. One was filed by the maverick politician Subramanian Swami on the alleged corruption in national banks. The second, filed by lawyer Anukul Pradhan, sought action against the financial misdeeds of Narsimha Rao's spiritual advisor, the godman Chandraswami. A.K. Panda, senior advocate and a member of Divan's team, explains why they were all clubbed together. It was a judicial statesmanship to my mind. 
In the sense, the court was also insulating itself from the political overtones the cases may entail. And the political overtones were like Dr. Subramanian Swami, everybody knows he is a political person. So court in his case said, let the amicus represent the case and the petitioner's role will be confined to assisting the amicus. By early 1996, the court had appointed Anil Devan as amicus curiae for the entire batch of petitions on investigative inaction. Amicus curiae is a Latin term that means friend of the court. The only requirement of an amicus curiae is he has to be absolutely impartial and objective. In our adversarial system, as counsel, we represent parties, we try to project their points of view. Okay, but the moment you are appointed an amicus, you are friend of the court, your duty is towards justice and court alone and nothing else. This meant that Divan no longer represented the Jain Havala petitioners. As amicus, Divan was tasked with analyzing political and bureaucratic corruption and suggesting amends. He was assisted by a team of lawyers, including A.K. Panda and Mukul Mudgal. How does the court decide whom to appoint as amicus? Mudgal, who went on to become the Chief Justice of Punjab and Haryana High Court, weighs in. You do put lawyers in certain categories, you know. I can tell you, this doesn't come easily to judges. And I have appointed about 15 to 20 amicus during the course of my judgeship. You have to weigh a repetition of it. That yes, he won't be suborned by the might of the parties involved and he would not succumb to pressure. As more and more corruption scandals tumbled out of the closet, expectations were riding high on Divan. Three years after Vineet Narayan's expose, there were signs that the law was finally catching up with the powerful. But the public was no closer to knowing why the CBI was unable to function as it was meant to. Anil Divan was determined to get to the bottom of this question. Join me, Raghu Karnad, on the next episode of Friend of the Court as Divan discovers secret government documents that explain the CBI's reluctance to investigate India's biggest political figures. Friend of the Court is a project by the Anil Divan Foundation in partnership with the School of Law Governance and Citizenship at Ambedkar University, Delhi. Thank you to our guests on this episode. Abani Sahu, Ashok Kumar Panda, Kamini Jaiswal, Justice Mukul Mudgal, Prashant Bhushan, Sanjay Kapoor and Shantanu Sen. The team at Anil Divan Foundation and Ambedkar University, Delhi includes researcher and fact-checker Vipin Mittal, Researcher and scriptwriter Ramya Boddupalli. Script editor Bhavya Dore. Advisors Lawrence Liang, Ranveer Singh, Sham Divan, and Vivek Divan. 
production by Made in India.